Good morning. How is everyone today? Good. I feel like the seat is a little low. Hold on. Like we're in the barber shop. You know, when I think about the church today, and I think about the church 2,000 years ago, I notice a marked difference. There are things that are missing, things that are not happening that were happening in the first century. And while I understand and appreciate that in the first century there were certainly things that were taking place that maybe weren't meant to take place later on, uh, having said that, I am a charismatic. I do believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit, all the working and the power of the Spirit, never ceased in any way, shape, or form. That God continues to work powerfully through his church in the full anointing of the Holy Spirit. Having said that, things have to be done according to God's word. But in the first century, we saw God work in a mighty way over a period of 30 years, as the book of Acts really covers that time period, we saw God work in a mighty way, many times in miraculous ways. I don't think they took that for granted, but they certainly were more accustomed to seeing the work of the Spirit in great power in and through their lives. So, I want to start by reading something, and this was included at the end of the Gospel of Mark, probably not written by Mark himself, but the last section Uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, was sort of addended to or added to the Gospel of Mark. I do believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's no question. It's just many of the books were compiled by different authors. This is a book that was written primarily by Mark, John Mark, but it kind of ended abruptly. And this, this ending was placed at the end of the Gospel to communicate the truth of God's Word to the people who were reading it. But at the end of the Gospel of Mark, when the Great Commission is shared, which, by the way, was shared in Matthew's Gospel as well, so there's not that much here that's different or new, uh, but it says that Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After that, Jesus was taken up into heaven. But these are the last words, some of the last words, that Jesus shared with the church before he returned to the Father, ascended into heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf and is promised to come again to judge the living and the dead. Amen? With these words, we understand that God wants to do and has promised to do and has told us in advance that he would do a work of great power in and through the church. Now, there are two things that I think happen. One is that we get so caught up in the power, we forget about the person of Jesus Christ. And we get caught up in the gifts and we get caught up in the the, the miracles and the wonders. And this has happened throughout the movements of the Spirit in the church over the centuries. You should never get distracted by the Holy Spirit. And you should always be pointed to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we get a little excited about some of the things that God is doing to our own detriment. That would be the one extreme on the other side. 
We have those that are uncomfortable when the Spirit works mightily, powerfully, and miraculously in and through people's lives. In specific, I would say the gift of tongues, gifts of healing, those types of gifts kind of freak some people out. And I will be the first one to say that while I believe that speaking in tongues is a gift that God will give those who are called to receive it today, I believe when you read 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, which is all about God's love, and then chapter 14, you'll see that there is a prescribed way for that gift to function in the church, just like teaching the word, just like the gift of prophecy, just like all of the gifts, and healing. And I think there are some people that believe that God can't heal today. If you believe God can heal today, say amen. Amen. God heals in wonderful ways. He can just heal. He can heal through prayer. How many examples have I heard and even experienced in my life when God has just touched a person's heart, touched a person's life, and they're healed? Then there's been other times where we've prayed for people, laid hands on them, and they've been healed. And there are other times where uh, people come forward in a service and the elders might pray for them and they're healed. And sometimes a prayer list goes out on email and people pray and people are healed. The important thing is not one of us does the healing. God does the healing. God, the Holy Spirit, does the healing. So we're going to see in the book of Acts today, in chapter 28, that God was working powerfully... I guess, oh, it must have been about 60, 62, around 62 A.D. God was working powerfully in the church then, and I believe sincerely with all my heart that he not only can, but wants to work powerfully in and through our lives today. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon us and anoint us And equip us, Lord, not in a way that would distract from who you are or in a way that would bring any glory to us and away from you. But rather, we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, would continue to work in and through our church and through the church at large. That we would see people who are in desperate need of healing be healed, not because they deserve it, not because we have enough faith, because we don't deserve it and we don't have enough faith. But Lord, because you are a good and gracious God, and according to your will, you choose to heal, sometimes you choose not to. So may we trust you, may we look to you, may we long for you to work in our lives, and may we see you work mightily. And whether it be healing or people being delivered from demonic spirits, or whether it be someone simply being protected from the evils of this world and the challenges of this world and the trials of this world, we know that you receive all the glory and that you do the work by your spirit, and we know these things are true, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've kind of set the stage. Jesus told us in advance, told his disciples in advance, what to expect. And it's amazing because as you look at that section in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, you you could almost say that pretty much describes what happens in today's study. Almost to a word. And now Paul was, of course, not one of the original apostles, Uh, but he wasn't the 13th beetle either. He was chosen by God to be used by God as an apostle, but not at the same time as the other apostles were chosen. And some of us here have been chosen for different purposes that God has. But one thing I do know, as we look at the book of Acts in chapter 28, 
Paul had been on this ship, the ship was shipwrecked, and all of the survivors from the storm either swam to shore or floated to shore on debris from the ship. They didn't know where they were. They had been lost for, well, they had been battered by the storm for at least 14 days and probably longer out at sea. And so all of this is taking place. There's complete chaos. The cargo's lost. Thankfully, no one else had been lost. Everyone was spared by God's grace. But they lost everything. So if, if you can imagine washing up on the shore on some island, you don't know the name of the island. You don't have any, anything except maybe the clothes that are on your back. You have no food. You have no ship. You have no cargo. More than likely, no money. And now here you are completely surrendered to God's will, not knowing what's going to happen or how. It's a pretty humbling place to be. But I have found that when God brings us to a place where we have nothing but him, that's when the Spirit works in powerful ways. I'm going to make a suggestion. That's all it is. It's not a prophecy. It's not a declaration. It's not a doctrine. I'm going to make a suggestion. I think the reason that we don't see God work more mightily and powerfully in our world today and through our church today is because we just simply have too much stuff to rely on. Do you pray when you got a headache? No, you probably take some kind of a pill or medicine. Or when something's wrong in your family, do you, do you panic and call the doctors and go on to WebMD and you try to fix it yourself? Of course you do. Everyone does. Pastor Joel, remember my first trip to Cuba back in 2004, and the thing I was struck by is they have nothing except a great faith in God. To trust God when they have a headache, to trust God when they have cancer, to trust God when they have nothing except a hungry appetite. When we find ourselves in a place of want and need, that's when God can and will work mightily, powerfully, even miraculously. But if you and I, if we go through life thinking that we have everything we need and, oh, God, we'll meet you on Sunday, maybe on a Wednesday night and once in a while on a good Friday, then you know what? I don't think that we can expect <clears throat> that God is going to work as mightily and powerfully in and through our lives as he would if we lived completely dependent upon him. Can I hear an amen? amen. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. And maybe it's not true for you. Maybe you have much more faith than I do. But I'll tell you, my first go-to is almost always to depend on myself or others before depending on God. So the reason I say that as we go into today's study, just put yourself in the place of Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke, the soldiers, the passengers, the sailors, and all those who were on board when the ship crashed. They all made it safely to shore. They were alive, but barely, and they had nothing else. And at this time, God can work and does work mightily and miraculously through their lives. Okay, let's take a look at verses, uh, let's read verses 1 through 6 of Acts chapter 28. We read there that once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta or Melita. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. 
And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Amazing how people respond to God's work. They almost always get it wrong. Isn't that something? We either go one direction or the other. We assume someone deserves to be judged, and then when they're not, we assume they're, what, better than us? We, we, we come to those conclusions because of our warped thinking about God and his grace. God is gracious, merciful, but he's also powerful and able to save. And I want you to know this. Last week we saw that God's promises are sure. I want you to know this morning that God will keep you safe. Can you say amen? God will keep you safe. You know, that whole section that we read from Mark's gospel was about as you were going into the world to preach the gospel and do the work that God has called you to do, they tried to poison you, it wouldn't work. If, if a snake bit you, it wouldn't work. No, in other words, nothing's going to get in the way of you being used by God when God calls you to a task. That's how I want you to interpret that. Unfortunately, there are some people that don't know much better, and they actually pick up snakes, and it's like part of their worship. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, and it doesn't happen in a lot of places. But some places in our country, people have decided that drinking poison and handling snakes is in somehow a worship service. If we start doing that here, I'm sure no one's showing up. I won't. <laughs> so as I think about those things, I realize all really I think the Spirit is telling us is, I've called you to go. I've called you to preach good news. I've called you to baptize people and share the gospel. If you're doing what I called you to do, you do not need to fear. I will keep you safe. Remember in Isaiah, if you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flood will not overwhelm you. The flames will not kindle upon you. God talks about his protection, and in a few weeks, we'll be in the book of Daniel here on Sunday mornings. And we'll get to Daniel 3, and you'll see how the flames didn't kindle upon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they stood for what they believed, and they wouldn't bow the knee to a worldly system. You know, there's so many people today that, you know, they want to say something. I, you, you've heard me say this before. If you see something, say something. That is, if you see something that's against God's word, or you hear something said that's not true, say something. Uh, but more and more people are, are shunned and, and silenced and afraid to open their mouths. You'll find that if you open up your mouth, others will appreciate it and open theirs. We have to be brave. We have to be willing to speak out and tell the truth about who God is and about the world we live in. As you do that, you might think, oh my goodness, this could happen to me. I could get fired. I could get canceled. They could take my podcast off of iTunes. I may not have a Twitter account anymore. Some of those things aren't so bad. But I will say this. If you're considering your own safety and your own well-being as you're making decisions to be faithful to God, may I say, may we say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, king, we're not even, we're not even concerned about this. If, if it's that you want us to bow, 
our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. And if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. See, I think at a certain point during the last couple of years, and listen, the last couple of years have been tough, and we've lost people we love. All of us, I'm sure all of us have. I know I have. But still, we can't be dissuaded just because you might get the sniffles, or you might get a cold, or you might get the flu, or you might get sick. You cannot stop doing what God has called you to do just because you might suffer loss. You might get a cold. You have to, I have to, we have to trust God. I've never been shipwrecked, but Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke, and the rest of the people were, and they all made it safely to the shore. And the first thought I would have, because of the way I think is, well, what now? We don't have anything. We're soaking wet. It's cold. It's raining. We're all going to catch our death. How are we going to even build a fire? How, how are we going to meet our own needs? Well, did they? No. God met their needs. Now, let's talk about this because Malta, Malta is where they landed. It's a large island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's off the southern coast of Sicily. And it was one of the three islands within an archipelago between Sicily and northern Africa. So they were on their way to Rome. They didn't quite make it there because of the storm. And now they're sort of there between Sicily and between uh, the, the northern African countries. So that, that, is, that, that is not where they planned on being. And certainly they need help. There is a problem here. They, they have needs. By the way, this island was colonized by the Phoenicians around 800 B.C., dominated by the Carthaginians around 480 B.C., and then dominated by the Romans uh, following the Punic Wars in 218 B.C. So a lot of different peoples populated islands like Sicily and Malta uh, because of where they were and where they are. And that's true even today. But those living on the island were very kind to them. It says unusually kind. Do we live in an unusually kind world? We don't. So when someone does something that's kind, we say, oh, that was kind. If they do something that's unusually kind, we're, we're baffled. Why would someone do something so unusually kind? And yet as Christians, what a wonderful open door. When we are able to be unusually kind to someone, how that softens the heart for the gospel. Now, that was not the motivation of these islanders. They were just unusually kind. Let's see. Could it have something to do with God putting upon their hearts the desire to be kind? Could it be that God was meeting their needs through others? Does that ever happen? Of course it does. So this unusual kindness that's displayed was so unusual that Luke called it unusual. And we know that because of their unusual kindness, their needs were met. Incidentally, uh, the name Malta or Melita means honey. It means honey. So you might think of this island as a very sweet experience. And what's interesting is that God brought them to a place through the storm where their needs would be met. Say amen if that's ever happened to you. See, that's the thing about storms. They're terrible. I hate them. We had some crazy weather just the other night. I guess it was Thursday night. Crazy storms. I'm glad to see, Russ, you got home okay. <laughs> that rain was really coming down. And the whole way, I'm driving home, I'm thinking, oh, I got water in my basement. Oh, I got water in my basement. Oh, I got water in my basement. I got home, and for whatever reason, the rain was all around our area, but not 
on the hill, if you want to call it, or mountain that we live on. So I was like, wow, that was interesting. I guess praying in the car that there wouldn't be water in the basement must have been answered, right? Because I was, believe me, as I'm racing to get home to start bailing water. See, sometimes when we go through a storm, we, we get on our knees. We go through a storm, we get on our knees, and then we're completely dependent upon God, and then God answers prayer, and we think, oh, 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 I'm so glad he answered prayer. He usually doesn't. No, usually we don't really mean it. How about that? Usually we're not in a place where we actually cry out to God with our hearts, with faith, believing that our only hope is him. I promise you, if you pray that way, not only does God answer, he works mightily and powerfully through you because you allow him to. God is not holding his blessings behind his back, waiting for you like some sick uncle to say, what do I have behind my back? And it's candy and the kids know it and they want it. But Now, I don't do that. That's just weird. I said, what, what do I have behind my back? You have a lollipop. No, what, what color lollipop? Red. Nope, you can't have it. It's orange. God is not weird and sick and cruel. We are, but God is not. And, you know, we need to understand he's a good father. He knows how to give good gifts. He doesn't play games with us. So when you pray to God and you actually are asking God to work because you probably don't have any other choice. God answers prayer. God answers prayer because God is good. And God is faithful. Well, that's what happened here. See the shipwreck as an answer to God's, or answer to their prayer to God. Based on God's grace and his love, an answer to their prayers. You know, it's one last thing I'll mention the site of the shipwreck today is traditionally known as St. Paul's Island. And you'll see in a minute why they called it that. But has God ever brought you through a storm to a sweet place? Has he ever brought you from a storm to a sweet place? Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Sweet places ahead. You need to know that. We're all going through a storm in our world right now, but I'm one of those optimists that believes God can still do wonderful things in our nation and in our culture. In fact, I depend on it because I'm praying for it, and I believe it. Say amen. Okay, so those living on the island were impressed. They were impressed by something because, first of all, they welcomed them out of the rain and the cold. They were very kind to them, but, but then something happened, and we read about it. You know, Paul's just putting wood on the fire that they had made, and well, a snake comes out of the wood that he had gathered or that they had gathered to make this fire, you know. What, one thing I have to mention is that I know one person who's a very brave and strong person, but when he sees a snake, it all changes. Right, Pastor Kurt? <laughs> we all have our things. Snakes aren't, I'm not a snake person, but they don't frighten me in a weird way. I have my own things. But I do know that when he picked up the wood, a snake bit him. But we read from Mark's gospel what can happen if you're doing what God has called you to do and you're where God called you to be. Even getting bit by a rattlesnake isn't, isn't going to stop God's work in and through your life. 
Well, this was a, a viper, poisonous snake, clearly. I think the uh, islanders would know. And certainly they expected him to, as it says, swell up at, at a minimum or possibly drop dead of a heart attack, which can happen when you get bit by a poisonous snake. But they were impressed that he survived. They were impressed that he survived a bite from a viper. And, yeah, you, you know, the people around us will always be impressed when they see God spare us or save us through the storm or through difficulties or whatever it is we go through, the trials, the attacks, the difficulties. When they see what God does for us, it helps them to know the truth about who God is. So God will allow that sometimes. And these things will happen to us and others will see it and they'll think, whoa, what's that all about? And they might come to the wrong conclusions at first. But ultimately, in this case, unfortunately, they they thought that he was sort of a superhuman, like a superhero. But he wasn't. He just had faith in God. He just had faith in God. He shook it off. They thought that Paul must be a murderer when they saw the snake bite him. They're thinking, man, how lucky this guy, you know, got out of the storm. He survived, but then he picks up some wood and he gets bit by a snake. And now he's going to drop dead. So they're thinking, well, that was justice. See, the ancient world believed that the gods punished murderers and criminals. So no matter what you did, the gods would get even with you. And we've carried that way of thinking into our culture today. We have. Pagan culture has influenced the church over the centuries. To the degree that we sometimes think if we do this, God will be pleased. Or if we don't do that, God will hate us. And, you know, we we go around thinking, well, God is out to get us, so we appease him. You know, we do things. We receive communion. We go through the rituals and the rites just to keep God from destroying us. That's pagan. That's the way pagans worship their gods. Our God is so much better than these false gods. They're no gods at all. If anything, they're demons or just man's ideas of the way we should behave. When you go through life thinking, oh, I better go to church or I won't get blessed. Oh, I really want to get that job. I had the interview on Friday. If I don't go to church on Sunday, God's going to punish me and I won't get the job. We don't say these things out loud. But, you know, when we go to the football game or the baseball game, if we wore the, the, the jersey, the red jersey at the Giants game, and they won the last time, guess what we wear the next time? The red jersey, because that makes them win, you know. We laugh at these things, and yet we do it. Here's the problem. When you think, when I think, when we think superstitiously, superstitiously, we're saying that God is in God, and that somehow we can affect our environment by our actions. You need to stop that. I need to stop that. Superstition is a very ugly thing because it limits God and gives us the control. And believe me, you don't want the control over this world. So here's what happens. They believe that the gods were punishing Paul. They superstitiously believe he was cursed by the goddess of justice. And then the Lord protected Paul from the viper's venom. Now, you might say, well, maybe it just wrapped itself around his hand. They didn't seem to think so, and it said it fastened to him, and he shook it off into the fire. He was bit. And as he was bit by this snake, and nothing happened, because God is able to supernaturally protect us in any of our trials, amen? Because of that, because through Christ's power, we can shake off our trials, like Paul did the viper, 
The people that are around him have come to this conclusion, there's something supernatural about you. And in that regard, they're right. You have the spirit of the living God in you, within you, living in you, who is able to do all things in and through your life. Say amen. No, you're not a God. You're not even a superhero. But what you are is loved by God and your Father protects you. He answers prayer. Well, now they changed their minds about Paul, but they they had gotten it wrong. They really didn't understand what was going on here. But I want to stop there for a minute and say, wait a minute, what did Paul do when the snake bit him? Shook it off. Shook it off. Back to Pastor Kurt for a minute. He's he's a football coach. And uh, I'm sure many times, Kurt, when you got the wind knocked out of you or had had your guys get the wind knocked out of you, out of them, you probably said these words, shake it off. (laughs) Shake it off. Like, I don't know why they say that, but shake it off. Now, look, I'm not a big guy. I didn't play football. But there's been times where, you know, playing with my friends or whatever, you get knocked down. You can't even breathe. The wind just gets knocked out of you. You just can't even believe what just happened to you. Or something terrible happens in life. Your first inclination really should be, if I can borrow that phrase, to shake it off. But there are some people who, when they get bit by a snake, let's use that as a metaphor, pick up the snake and show everybody, look what happened to me. Then they go to therapy twice a week to tell someone else, look what happened to me. Then they write a blog, lookwhathappentome.com. And they write a book. Look what happened to me. And then they spend their whole life wallowing in self-pity because look what happened to me. Shake it off. Shake it off. Things happen to us. Stuff happens. It might be a snake. It might be a storm. It might be a horrible tragedy. We've all experienced them. Not everything that happens in this life is pleasant. But if you go through life clinging to the things that bite you, lamenting the storms you go through, or wallowing over how this or that didn't happen to you or did happen to you, I promise you, you'll never be able to be used by God in the way that he wants to use you. You've got to shake it off. You've got to shake it off. That's what Paul did. And then some wonderful things happened. Look at verses, uh, let's read the rest of the section here, verse 7. We now learn that there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. Now his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him, and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Is God good? Is God good? Yeah, he's good, real good. So good. So good to me. See, that's the God you serve that when you end up on a beach somewhere with nothing, God provides for your needs. When you're cold, 
Someone builds a fire, provides food, a place to stay. And then when something terrible happens, you can shake it off because God is with you. When horrible things happen in our life, we can be blessed through those things because God is good, not because we're good or because we deserve God's grace or his blessings, but because God is good, we can trust that God will work in and through our lives and that he will protect us from all those things that might just happen. You know, recently I've been driving and and watching other people drive because I have to watch them very carefully. Most of the time they're not paying attention, have you noticed? Most of the time, people are doing six other things other than driving. It can be very dangerous to drive out there. And there have been times I've thought to myself, I don't even know if I want to drive anymore. Because quite frankly, it, it, I've thought, my goodness, I don't want to get into an accident. But every time I get in my car, I just sort of pray, Lord, keep me safe. I've been doing that more and more. And I really need God to keep me safe. There's been a couple instances within the last week where I was driving and, you know, a split second would have made all the difference in the world. There was some crazy person driving into the side of my car. You know something? I think I would actually rather sail the Mediterranean in hurricane season than drive down Route 80. Life is dangerous. That's the point I'm trying to make. Life is dangerous. All kinds of things can happen to us. And if you're suffering from the anxiety that comes from, oh my goodness, what if I have a word for you? God is good. God is good. If these things can happen to Paul, they can happen for us. So what was God up to? Why the snake? Why, why the storm? Why this island? Why were, were the, the islanders unusually kind? What, what was going on here? Well, I'm sure they didn't realize it at the time, but God had called them to do a work on Malta in this very sweet place. And the work included miraculous works of power, and what the snake did is bite Paul so that people could see that nothing can stop God's work in and through the lives of those that love him. So now the storm, the snake, all of these things have actually been working for them, actually for the islanders especially. Because we see that God worked mightily through Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus on the island of Malta. Paul prayed, oh my goodness, we need to see this. Oh, Paul didn't need to pray. He saw Jesus. Oh, he didn't need to pray. He had the power. He had the power. No, Paul prayed. But wait a minute. Did Jesus pray? Certainly, if there's anyone on this planet that ever lived that didn't, quote unquote, quote unquote, need to pray, it would be God himself, right? And yet we know this. We know that he would get up sometimes so early in the morning, his disciples would all be asleep, and he would get up and he would go off to a quiet place, and he'd be with his father and he would pray. Do you understand there's a distinct difference between a person that prays like that, or prays like Paul, and a person who doesn't? Is it surprising that God might work mightily and miraculously through the life of someone that's dependent upon God in prayer? Like that? Oh, we all pray. I know that. But I think what we're seeing today in our lesson is that there's prayer and there's prayer. There, there's, there's praying and then there's so much dependence on God that your prayers are not just a cry of desperation, but one of anticipation. One of knowing that God will work, can work, wants to work, and the only missing component is you. 
It's me. It's us. Because we're not surrendered to God, we fail to see the power of God in and through our lives. But that's not God's fault. That's our fault. So back to the original statement I made, I think the reason we see so little of these miraculous wonders and healings in the church today, it isn't because we have to write a doctrine that suggests that those things don't take place anymore to explain away why we don't see the healings and the miracles. I think the answer is much more simpler than that. We become so dependent upon ourselves and and the creature comforts of life that we don't always ask God to work miraculously or powerfully in and through our lives. We would rather depend on things we can understand and others and ourselves and our resources and our drugs and all the things that we cling to and hold to because we believe they can save us. How did that work out? How did that work out these last two years? Not so well. And I think people in the church, Christians, are starting to understand we need to cling to God. We need to cry out to him in prayer and wait and see God work in a mighty and powerful way to his glory. Look what happened here. Paul prayed. He prayed for Publius, his father. Now, he's the governor or the chief official of the island. And what did the Lord do? Did the Lord say, well, Paul, I'd really love to help you out. But you know I don't heal like that. No. He healed him. He healed him. Have you ever prayed, Lord, I know you won't, but I'm going to pray for it anyway, because that's what pastor said to do. How about this one? This is a good one. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I like to pray like that sometimes. Lord, I actually don't believe what I'm going to pray for. Help my unbelief, because I know you can do it. I just don't know if I can trust you to do it. So help me to trust you to do it. So like my prayer starts with help me so that I can believe and pray according to your will. I believe God answers prayers like that. Say amen. amen. He does. He wants you to grow closer to him through dependence. That's an ugly word to us sometimes, dependence. Have something happen to you, you know, where your back hurts and you can't walk or you get into a, a car accident, God forbid, and you're injured or you become sick and you need someone to do for you the simplest things that you could do without thinking. And you'll understand the meaning of the word dependence. Or if you hold one of those little ones in your arms. As they're growing up, they get, they get big too quick, don't they? But when they're little like that and they, they can't even do anything without you doing it for them, it's a sweet time, isn't it? It's sweet. It's like honey. It's sweet. So dependent upon us. And yet that is the very picture that God uses in the scriptures to describe us in his arms as a child that is completely dependent upon him. That, brothers and sisters, is, if I can use this word, the ideal relationship that we can have with God. Like an infant child in the arms of a heavenly father that meets every single one of our needs. Well, Paul and his team were used by God to heal all of those on the island who were sick. Now, so check this out. They go to this wonderful place. It's called an estate. I imagine it was a nice place. They go to this estate. Publius is there. Father's got a fever and dysentery. He's probably going to get better. I mean, people do die from dysentery. Okay, but, uh, you know, he didn't have cancer. You know? He wasn't going to bleed to death. 
He had a fever and dysentery. We've all had that. Have you been to El Salvador? Have you been to Guatemala? Have you been to Mexico? Have you been on the mission field? This kind of happens. This is the way it goes sometimes. You might have felt like you were going to die, but you probably didn't think you were. God healed him. Why? Well, there were a number of reasons he wanted to heal, but there was a purpose, and the purpose was there was more healing that God wanted to do. So when news got out, that a man who had a fever and dysentery, you know what that means, he was, he was just kind of not feeling well. He got healed. The entire island says, oh, we need healing. There are people here today who need healing who won't admit it to themselves or to even to God or anyone else. But you know who you are. You know that God is speaking you, to you today. It could, be, it could be psychological and emotional, but it could be physical. And, and you know what? God heals. In fact, We'll talk about this in a little bit when we receive communion. Paul talked about this, I believe, with the Corinthians. He he made it clear that they weren't receiving communion properly. That is, they weren't acknowledging what Christ had done for them. They were just kind of going through the motions, you know, going to church, doing their thing. But they weren't really receiving communion in a way that was described as worthy. That is, in their hearts, they really weren't honoring the truth of Christ's death and resurrection and the power that we have in and through his name. And Paul says that because of that, some of them had become sick and even died. It's not God's punishment. God doesn't punish you. What was that? That was them not availing themselves of the power of God by acknowledging Jesus' love and his power in their life. So they missed out on the healing, and some of them never got better and died because they refused to cry out to God for healing. These people on this island got word that God was healing and lined up. These guys were in exactly the place that God had called them to be, to do the work that God had called them to do, because they trusted him. But they had to go through the storm first. Paul had to get bit first. But then God worked mightily and powerfully. Well, this wasn't always the case in every city they went to. Other cities may have lacked the faith. Jesus certainly thought so. Couldn't do many miracles in that town or Nazareth or other towns because there was no faith. And people, what, what does that mean? Oh, God wanted to work, but he couldn't because you didn't help him. No, he wanted to work and he couldn't because you wouldn't let him. God works in and through us by faith in him. And the sick were healed and delivered through faith in Jesus Christ. They received gifts of healing and gifts of faith. The people who were sick received the gift of healing. The people who were part of the process received the gift of faith to bring about healing. Paul didn't heal them. It says Paul healed them, but he didn't. Who healed them? God healed them through Paul. Now, it's also possible that Luke, who was a doctor, administered medical care while he was there as well. But they were helping these people, and God worked mightily and powerfully. And so the Lord used those living on the island to bless Paul and his companions. That was also part of the plan. See, they honored them for how the Lord had used them to bring healing. They provided them with the supplies that they needed to continue on their journey. How else were they going to get to Rome at this point? They lost everything. This must have had a profound effect and impact on the soldiers and the sailors, the prisoners and the passengers who were with Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke. I'm sure this impacted them greatly. And so the Lord used Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus to bring salvation as well. They brought salvation to the island of Malta. They brought a sweetness sweeter than the name. They brought Jesus to a place 
that didn't know him. But it wasn't easy, and it cost them something. It cost them a lot. But that is the way God has called us to live. That is how God has called us to minister. Sometimes it's at our expense, at our inconvenience, and through our own peril. But we can trust God that he will be with us, preserve us, protect us, and keep us safe. If we are walking in the power of the Spirit. Now, what we do know, history tells us, is that Publius is said to have converted to Christianity and that he became the first bishop of Malta. In fact, the cathedral of Medina is said to stand on the site of Publius's house. So they had a lasting impact on this island. And as we've said already, he's the official in charge of governing the island. And imagine how having his father with a somewhat serious illness being healed, imagine how that may have impacted him. Oh, I love the way God works. He works on so many different levels and in so many different directions at once. You can't even keep up with what he's doing, right? But you can trust he's doing. You can trust him because he's good. And brothers and sisters, God's miracles often come about the result of trials and difficulties of life. They do. I know you don't like it. I don't like it either, but it's still true. You know, when the snake, or in this case we might say the devil... When the snake or the devil tried to strike Paul, something else happened. Instead, it brought about a miraculous work of God. So when the devil comes after you, it's kind of like when a fastball pitcher throws a ball at about 105 miles an hour. I'm being a little exaggeratory. And that ball just comes whizzing past you. If you could get a piece of that, it's a home run. Here's the thing. We got stuff coming at us right now. All kinds of stuff coming at us. And we're thinking, oh God, when is it going to stop? Swing at that fastball. Hit the home run. Knock it out of the park. Because as God equips you, the things that come at you, the energy of those things that come at you, the the demonic horde, the devils, all all that comes at you, the trials and tribulations, that becomes that momentum that when God works in a mighty way, you can just knock it out of the park. What is God going to accomplish through your trials as you shake them off? Well, let's find out. As we pray. As we seek God, as we trust God, let's find out together. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we open our hearts now to receive communion, we want to be like Paul and the others that he was traveling with. We want to be able to be used by you mightily, but we know it starts with a faith that, Lord, we don't even have, that we need for you to give us. You need to bless us with faith in order for us to be the kinds of people that can honor you and live for you and live lives that are filled with wonders and miracles and mighty works of God. Lord, so what we ask now is that as we receive communion, that we would receive communion worthily in a worthy manner. By that we mean, Lord, that as we receive the cup, as we receive the bread, as we remember your death and your resurrection, that we would also recognize that The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The power of the Holy Spirit. And that according to your will, you can work mightily through us. But Lord, if I might, out of concern and prayer for my brothers and sisters here today, 
many of whom are suffering, have illnesses or injuries, I pray according to your will, not my will, but your will be done, that you would be gracious and merciful to bring healing through faith this morning, not that we would bring all this attention to ourselves, but rather, Lord, that we would find ourselves just more and more dependent upon you. Lord, may you touch and heal my brothers and sisters as they receive the cup, as, as they receive the bread. We know that your word tells us, Peter tells us, Isaiah tells us that by your stripes we're healed. And if you choose to heal, you heal. But we believe you can and we ask you to, according to your will to do so because we believe that you can and we know that you will according to your will. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.